and welcome to The Gardening Show on Radio Karam. My name is Brendan. And my name is Henry. And we are the hosts of The Gardening Show. Welcome. We are wanting to talk to you. We are excited to be joining you and we are going to talk about all things gardening and local food production. Uh, We are two local dads who share a passion for the garden, sustainability, growing food and just giving it a go. And we also help to run Downs Community Farm, which is a budding non-for-profit just adjacent to the Seaford wetlands. And our mission is to promote and share the benefits of home gardening in our local community. We'll be talking about gardening in general, we'll be playing some tunes, and we'll be engaging with our listeners via texts. Um, Let's kick it off. Welcome. Henry, would you like to do the acknowledgement of country? I would, Brendan. Thank you. Uh, I would like to acknowledge the custodians of the land on which we are broadcasting today, the Bunurong Boomerang peoples of the Kulin Nation, and we want to pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging, and recognise that their sovereignty was never ceded. Mm-hmm. Cool. What did we go through last episode, Henry? It feels like a long time ago. It. It does. It I feel like it I, does. I feel like I haven't been here for a month. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel that way? A little bit. I think daylight savings <laughs> is coming. You know, daylight savings has happened. It's much lighter in here now. I yeah. think we noticed last time, but it's got a bit of a different feel. How's it was it? for a long time. It was just kind of getting here at night time, mm. leaving here at night time, mm. and now I feel like I've got some of my day back. How was? Did you see some of the kids walking around doing Halloween? I did. Yep. I did. Uh, it seems that every year. The decorations in the neighborhood get more extreme and mm. intense. Yep. <laughs> Even to the point of perhaps putting our North American cousins to shame. <laughs> um, you saw a giant spider. Yeah. Probably about the size of a Volkswagen. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, uh, and then I saw one too on my street. So there's obviously a supplier of giant spiders. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe next year. I don't know. Not, I'm not quite there yet with the Halloween thing. It certainly appears like people are getting into it. That's for sure. But yes, on the Halloween theme, mm. pumpkins. Pumpkins. Pumpkins is coming up today, isn't it? It certainly is. Definitely. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, before we get into what we're talking about today, what did we talk about last week? Mm. So last week, yeah, we did a spotlight on sunflowers and we learned all about different sunflowers, which is most excellent. Mm. We we spoke quite a lot about what's going on in our own gardens individually, what sort yeah. of stuff we're growing at home, what's been working, what hasn't been working. Uh, we discussed the 10th permaculture principle, which was using and valuing diversity. Mm. And we also discussed a whole bunch of DIY gardening hacks, uh, things that you can do at home yourself, getting creative uh, and seeing what you can do in the garden. Absolutely. What about today? Today. So uh, we're talking about a few things today. So indoor plants, mm. which is a big one that I think most people have indoor plants mm-hmm. of yep. some kind. Maybe neglected. Certainly, that's the case <laughs> for me. The hands going up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, we'll talk a little bit about um, you know different types of indoor plants, indoor plant care, just things mm. to consider um, why they might be right for you. We'll talk about the eleventh permaculture principle, the penultimate one, using edges and valuing valuing the marginal. Mm. Yep. So we'll go into that, and then. We are doing a spotlight on cucurbits. Yeah, cool beans. One of my favorite, not well, beans, not no. beans, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what one of my favorite. I think probably one of your favorite. Um, well, it's not a genus; it's a family mm-hmm. comprising of many genuses um, of of plants. But um, very quickly, what are cucurbits? Everything from cucumbers to zucchinis to pumpkins. 
Uh, watermelons, cantaloupes, wa- melons yeah. of, all, of all varieties, and so. vines. Vines indicating a cucurbit. Uh, they can. I mean, most most cucurbits are vining, mm. as far as I know. Mm. Maybe there's ones that aren't, but we'll get into it. Uh, but yeah, as, as as always, don't forget if you have any gardening questions tonight, feel free to text them through to us on o four nine three two one three eight three one. That's o four nine three two one three eight three one. And if you have any questions in between shows that you'd like us to touch on, you can email us at the gardening show radio, all one word, at gmail.com. Before we get into our first song though. What did you get up to in the garden in the past couple of weeks? Mm, in the garden, I... What did I do in the garden? We... Ah, oh, do you know what? We planted some... We planted a cucurbit. We planted... Oh. Uh, so, my partner was super excited and wanted to grow some cucumelons. Ah, very popular over the past couple of years. They have, yep. They've been on, on trend. Mm-hmm. Um, and a cucumelon is a teeny, tiny, tiny little cucumber, I believe. That looks like a miniature watermelon. It looks like it's got the same markings as a miniature watermelon. So, super cute. Um, great for things like salads and, mm. and simply bite size. So, almost the size of a, a little piece of candy or something like that, a little piece of chocolate. Yeah. Um, so not very big at all. Uh, so we planted in some cucurbits, some cucumelons. Uh, hopefully they're going to be going going strong. Mm. A little bit of cleanup. I actually did a bit of a chop and drop. Mm. Uh, and this was on some broad beans and some spinach and silver beet, which was just getting to the end of its life and it was wanting to go a bit bonkers and start to shoot up towards the sky. So mm. I chopped that all down and um, started getting prepped for some new new regrowth mm. in there. We planted in some uh, chilies and also some eggplants. So okay. a few a few bits and pieces. How about you? Uh, similar. A uh, bit of chop and drop. Yep. Uh, so for, for listeners that don't know what chop and drop is, it's, uh, as the name suggests, it's instead of, you know, taking all of your spent plants and putting them in the compost, for example, it's just chopping them up and dropping them where they were. Mm. Yep. And create a sort of living, not living anymore, but a sort of uh, a green mulch and something that's going to compost over time. So mm. it's a good way to especially with legumes and stuff like broad beans, good way to get that, keep that nitrogen back in the soil, mm. um, not disturbing the roots and just dropping the leaves where they are. Mm. So I didn't quite do that for my broad beans, but I took a look at them before I came here today. And I was like, oh, you know, they're getting really scrappy and they're pushing out all these new shoots from the bottom, just trying to get one last flush out. I'm like, no, you're all, gonna, you're <laughs> you're all going out this yeah. week. <laughs> I need the space. Uh, but I did chop and drop uh, – the last of my beetroots, mm-hmm. my golden beetroots. So I was pretty happy to get those um, kind of done and ready to put some some things in there, tomatoes being one of the big ones. And that was pretty much it, just kind of just keeping an eye on everything mm. and just sort of keeping the seedlings growing because yeah, I want to yep. start getting all of the, the tomatoes, the multitude of cucurbits that I've got. I bought some I – bought, I bought two kinds of zucchini – so my partner really wants zucchini flowers, mm-hmm. uh, but we also like zucchini, the fruit as well. So we got the regular blackjack. Yep. That's a normal fat green one from the supermarket and uh, a round yellow zucchini. Okay. I can't remember the exact name of it, but I bought a few of them 
and a bunch of random things like a bit of kale and just things to fill gaps mm-hmm. in the garden. Actually, uh, we got a Long Florence uh, zucchini, oh, yeah. which is, I think, a variegated variety. So it's that almost like the um, light green, dark green yeah. mix over. Uh, so we're going to try those ones out and see how they go. But interesting, you mentioned the tomatoes. That was a, something else that we did as well was up pot some tomato seedlings that were probably about that five centimetre yep. point and then getting them. And I had actually planted quite a few together to separate them out, put yep. them in individual slightly bigger pots and uh, hopefully and isolate them so that they can get up to that 15, 20 centimetres, as we mentioned last episode, before yep. getting them into their final home. That's it. There nice. Busy weekends. Busy, busy. All right. Well, let's get into our first song uh, before we uh, talk about some indoor plants. This one is by Nick Mulvey and it is Fever to the Form. Hey, I'm Jane Oakley, a Matilda alumni footballer, number 36, and you're listening to Radio Karen. Stay tuned. And we are back on The Gardening Show on Radio Karen with yes. Henry and Brendan. Absolutely. We're talking indoor gardens, indoor plants. We are. Once again, though, if you are, if you liked that song, uh, it is Fever to the Form by Nick Mulvey. I do like a good back announce. Mm. So the after the fact. Go that do was, it. That was. Or well, you're like me and you quickly rip out your phone and you. Well, what's the <laughs> program where you like make it listen to music and it tells you. Uh, oh, I forgot what it's called now. Uh, like a Soundhound is one, I think. But there's another one as well, which will. Which will listen and tell you the lyrics It'll and what song it me, is. But yeah. I'm always too late. I'm like, ah, and then it, yeah. <laughs> you missed the song. <laughs> um, so Nick Mulvey, Fever to the Form. Great song. That's it. So indoor plants. What are you growing inside the house, Henry? Mm. I mean, growing is a strong word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's <laughs> what, existing inside what, of what the is, house? <laughs> what is barely existing on the inside of my house? Uh, <laughs> so I've actually got quite a few. So, um, And some are doing a bit better than others. Uh, so... Uh, philodendrons, yes, which are yep. big fan. Um, you've probably seen this particular one, Xanadu. It's the more popular type of philodendron out there. Looks similar to a monstera, mm-hmm. but has way more wavy, sort of deeply grooved leaves as opposed to a big leaf that's split. Mm-hmm. In the case of a monstera, uh, we do have a monstera as well, I believe, maybe. <laughs> it's gone to that point. I'm like, was that a monstera? Um, Is it massive? <laughs> no. no. No? Okay. Um, and I've got the name here. Um, Epipremnum. Epipremnum uh-huh. aureum. Yes. Or devil's ivy. Devil's ivy. Devil's ivy. Devil's yes. ivy. Um, so, yeah, really popular one. One of those ones that's impossible to kill. Mm. Um, I've moved it outside now under the deck and have kept the water up to it a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to just bring it back a little bit because it was, again, looking very neglected. And a few Hoyas. I'm a big fan of Hoyas. Uh, they're sort of, they, I guess they're like vines. Not really. They don't, they're not climbing vines, but they kind of hang down out of a pot and have these sort of thicker, fleshy leaves, mm-hmm. kind of like Zanzibar gem leaves, mm-hmm. but a very different sort of plant. Um, again, I've got some that are, you know, I probably haven't watered it. In over a year. Wow. <laughs> to be honest, I just don't even look or think about the indoor plants. Like, mm, there's so mm, much mm. going on outside. Yep. Um, but I find that you give it a cup of water every now and again and it just does all right. It sustains. It's it keeps on keeping on. I would like to improve my indoor plant game for uh-huh. sure. 
Because who doesn't love indoor plants? Yeah, this is true. Who doesn't yeah. love a bit of green in their house? A bit of green. I think that's, yeah. Uh, for me, I think it's really cool um, mm. being able to have a look around and just seeing little splashes of colour around the place. Mm. Uh, and it's interesting because you mentioned a couple of them. Obviously, there's there's a number of indoor plants that have quite often seen and used inside of houses. Um, and you, you uh, hit on a couple of them there. Oh, hold on. And there's one more. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dracaena. Dracaena. Well. Dracaena. Or I don't like the name, but mother-in-law's tongue. <gasps> ah, the very classic yes. indoor plant. Big spears, variegated. Yep. Um, impossible, almost impossible to kill. Mm-mm-mm. So You've got to really n- not do anything to it for about a, at least at a year. At least a year. <laughs> um, yeah. Similar to a Zanzibar gem. But anyway, <laughs> mm. what do you have though in, in your house? Yeah, so interestingly enough, we did. We've got a, a ZZ, a Zanzibar gem, and I believe I'm going to give this a try. Zami oculus, oculus, Zami folia. ZZ, hence the ZZ. Hence the ZZ. We we always used it as a Zanzibar gem, and we named it Zane. So it's Zane the Zanzibar gem. We have a couple of peace lilies. Uh, again, very, very popular. Mm. Um, and as you mentioned before, uh, the the Devil's Ivy. Um, I actually quite like Devil's Ivy in that it's you can use it almost as, as art as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've seen heaps of people. It doesn't take a lot, but popping it up there and then just dragging out and almost pinning yep. or the the um, the vines as it grows out, and it really does grow out quite a long way. And so you get these interesting shapes, framing something like a a mantelpiece or a window uh, window sill or around a window frame, for example. It's really cool. It's it's again, it's one. A lot of these are the same where they've they've been so popular and in as houseplants for forever, mm. for decades. I actually, you made me think of it just then. There's a photo I remember of when I was very young. So we're talking maybe 30 years ago in our lounge room back in Adelaide. And <laughs> sure enough, my mum had, uh, my mum and my dad, I suppose, had put a devil's ivy mm. up and like over a mirror, over a mantelpiece and yep. down the other side. Yep. Yeah. And it can grow meters, meters and meters in length. So you can actually do something with, with not it. Not a lot of pot. No, that's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there was the um, the indoor fig. So the ficus. Oh, the fiddle leaf or one yes. of the other ones? Fiddle. Yeah. Yep. And uh, that one also is just a, it will go quite a long time without water. It can mm. sustain quite well inside without um, giving it too much. Uh, and I found that when we did actually feed it, a bit, it, it really shot off. So yeah. it busted new leaves. It really it grew up to the top of the roof and then started to arch over. And mm. sort of, you know what? I think we need a haircut here. And took, took it back a fair bit. It's interesting because all of these plants that we're talking about tend to come from a very similar type of climate mm. and environment type, yep. which is rainforests. Yeah, yep. Um, and that sort of gives you an idea of why they might work inside because where they grow, they don't get a lot of sunlight. No, no, they're going to be understory plants mm. um, and sometimes host, or sorry, not host plants, but borrowing plants. Yeah. As we'll talk about a little bit later on. Uh, yeah, fascinating. So, not a huge amount of light. They've got to work with what they've got. Yeah. Hmm. So, why? Why would you grow plants inside when oh. there's plenty of outside to grow? <laughs> why would you grow them inside? Because I like seeing plants around. 
That's, that's a good one. Aesthetic <laughs> appeal, I think, absolutely. Uh, really just makes you feel good mm. having having green in that space. Yep. I think it's also good for space limitation. So, mm. you know, if you don't have a balcony even, or maybe you do but you want to grow more things, yep. um, it's a good it's a good way to introduce plants into your life when you don't have a yard, Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, which is really, you know, everyone should be growing plants. Year-round cultivation, I'd say, mm-hmm. is another one um, because the great thing about homes is for the most part they have quite even temperatures compared to outside at least. Mm, yep. So you can grow a lot of species that are, again, more suited to specific environments, in particular rainforests. Yep. Um, and, yeah, I, I put here, more plants is better. More plants is better, <laughs> question mark. Question mark, exclamation <laughs> mark. Yeah. Well, we spoke about um, the strengths in numerous different types and mm. and building resilience in our in our natural ecosystems and environments from our permaculture lessons yeah, there yeah. We go. Mm-hmm. i like it limitations yeah so there are some limitations i'll i'll, I'll give a few and you mm. give a few maybe so uh of course uh limited space <laughs> you know uh we can't just fill our entire houses unless we have a beautiful conservatory just for that purpose we do have to take into account access in, in homes and the, and just the general usability of homes. So, you know, Monsteros are a good example. They can get big. Mm, yep. Like they could take up your whole lounge room. So something you have to think about in terms of, you know, the suitable pot size and how big a plant it's going to get. Did, did we – sorry, just to digress yeah. a second. Did we ever talk about uh, Monstera deliciosa, the actual fruit? Uh, I don't think – you and I maybe have talked about it in the past. Mm. I don't think we've talked about it on the show. I am so keen to try this fruit one day. I'll tell you, I have tried it. Oh, really? I've tried it. And? Um, eh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you. Eh. Look, it's it's finicky. Yep. So uh, for those who haven't seen it, um, it oh, how would I describe it? It's sort of, it has lots of little lobes. Yep. Segmented. Segmented like bits that you pull out, almost like an overripe pineapple mm-hmm. in terms of um, f- some people might not even know. Overripe pineapples you can eat by pulling out one little one little section one of little it. section mm. at a time. Um, so it has that and it's very fibrous and doesn't have a great mouthfeel. Mm. I think it's one of those ones you have to get it at just the perfect sort of window of ripeness. Mm-hmm. And... I did manage to – I can't remember when it was. At someone's house maybe. Yeah, maybe. And anyway, and it was at that stage of ripeness. It was perfect. You know, it was it was starting totally to – Totally palatable. Bust apart and – Yeah. Uh, but the flavour just wasn't – I don't know. Interesting. Didn't really do it for me. But worth a try. Worth a try. You might like it. I've heard I've, I heard various bits and pieces, and it could have just been on listening to YouTube or going down the <laughs> rabbit holes there, but um, that it was a combination flavor fruit, and it had it almost has its flavor of a multiple bit of banana, a bit of um, pineapple, a bit of a, a combination of different flavors to make up that fruit. Pretty accurate, at least in my case, was not greater than the sum of its parts. Uh huh. But. Again, it could have just been the growing conditions. It could have been the soil. It could have been any number of things. Mm. I compare it to another great sort of tropical plant, um, uh, dragon fruit. Yep. So I guarantee most people have never actually tasted dragon fruit because the stuff that you buy in the supermarket is flavorless Mm. compared to an actual one that you pull off and eat yourself. 
because they don't carry very well. They don't travel very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have to be harvested before they're ripe to last to even get to the supermarket. So it could be that sort of a situation as well. What? Uh, we're, we're jumping off the point. We're going full on to tropical fruit now. So. But <laughs> amazing looking fruit, dragon fruit. Yeah. Super unique. Super interesting. And very easy to grow. I'm going to try it next year. It's actually really easy to grow. I've looked it up. So we'll, we'll get some or we'll give it a try. Um, so. Let's do it. If you drive, and, and what's great about Melbourne, uh, what I think is a, a really inspiring part about Melbourne is, you know, we, we drive through Springvale and different areas, different cultural areas where there's mm. great examples of this home gardening and you can see the frames, the square frames built up for the dragon fruit and yep. dragon fruit sitting on there and all sorts of different things. Very cool. Yep. Very cool. Inspiring. But we're going back. Indoor plants. Sorry about that. <laughs> that was the Monstera digression. That's what, that's, that's what this show's about. Just go wherever our mind takes us. So we had lighting, lighting challenges as yeah, well. I mean, the thing is, look, while they do, these plants in nature do live in the understory of jungles, it doesn't mean they get no light. Mm. It just means they get filtered light. And you do have to take that into account. You can't just put, um, you know, any of these indoor plants into a dark corner and expect it to do well. They're usually going to do better, you know, by a window um, with perhaps indirect light, mm. but but good light. So that's something that needs to be considered. And also just the, the oversun in some instances. So flipping that on its side, mm. um, I want to take the example of a peace lily that we've got getting some direct sunlight and it doesn't like it at all. No, they really don't. They burn quite <laughs> easily. It really doesn't like it. So what we need to do in that instance is, is actually move. It's not in a good spot for where it needs yeah. to be. <laughs> that's another great thing about growing inside. You can move it. You can just move them wherever you want. Transportable. Follow Great the point. sun. Follow the uh, microclimates in your home. But yeah, what's another limitation? Humidity. Humidity. Yeah. Yep. Big one. We're, we're talking humidity. I mean, optim, keeping and maintaining an optimal humidity level in the house, especially in the colder months or the hotter months, if you're throwing on the AC and then <laughs> throwing on the heater or doing any of those sorts of things, it can mix things up a little bit. So that can be a bit of a limiting factor when it comes to uh, your indoor plants as well. It might dry out the soil quite quickly. or mm. That's why misting is a great way to sort of keep the humidity level a bit more constant and certainly some indoor plants that respond well to that. Mm. And pests and diseases. Oh, there's another one. So being indoor um, and with all the other things that go on indoors with food preparation and things like that um, and just the human body being, you know, I'm going to say like a haven for pests, but, you know, uh, being, a, you know, human creatures, uh, indoors can be a breeding, uh, a breeding ground and you do really need to monitor and manage indoor plants because mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have the predator species that you have outdoors mm-hmm. to take care of the pests. Um, you know, I think we've all had a, you know, an indoor plant that has bred gnats. Yes. Uh, you know, or those little, what are they called, the other ones? Oh. I was going to say gnats, gnats is the, is the very, main one, right? The first thing that I thought about when it comes to indoor plants and soil, when you're holding soil inside, it can, even just watering it once a, a fortnight can be enough to keep keep the gnats going. Um, and you'll notice that the, everyone's seen it. It's like a tiny little fly is just buzzing around the place. You're like, where did you come from? Yeah. Why, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> Awful. Uh, but also, yeah, fungus can be a big issue as well. Correct, That's yeah. That's another big yep. one too. Uh, and finally, um, just pot, general potting and soil issues, which I, I mean, this is also the issue with anything you grow in a pot really is that you do have to 
use a really good quality potting mix, either you know purchased or that you've made yourself, um, and make sure the drainage is really good. Because again, a big reason why we get these gnats, for example, is when the soil is too moist for too long. And we mm-hmm. create a really nice environment for them. So, yeah, little tip, obviously, um, and you've probably heard this one before. When you have uh, an indoor plant, instead of just kind of having the little dish under it and just watering and kind of letting it drain through and sit in the dish, take the pot, put it in the sink, give it a good deep water, let it fully drain out and then put it back. Mm, And then use the little finger trick, you know, the two knuckles in and don't really water it until you have to. Yeah. You know, they don't have to be moist all the time. Um, Yeah. Great suggestions. So some options. Let's talk about options. What can we? What are some other common ones that we can throw into this indoor gardening mix for those who want to look out and see what else is out there? Well, we all know Monstera deliciosa, mm-hmm. right? The um, beautiful, uh, you know, fruit salad plant is the other name for it, I believe. Um, is that what's called? Yeah, the fruit salad plant, right? So, which again speaks to the taste of the fruit, I suppose. Mm. Uh, but there are other. Uh, species of Monstera uh, that are really nice as well. There's the, uh, I think it's the, the common name is the Swiss cheese plant. Mm-hmm, so it mm-hmm. has like, you know, much finer sort of leaves that have more holes in them, yep. kind of like Swiss cheese. Uh, f- philodendrons, of course, um, Xanadu being the really popular one, but again, multitudes of species to choose from with vastly different leaf shapes and colors and sizes. The money tree plant, I'm a big fan of that one. I can never remember the botanical name for it we'll have we'll, is it pothos we'll, maybe we'll quiz ourselves for next time maybe anyway <laughs> uh the string the string plants string of pearls string of bananas string yep. of dolphins yep. there's a whole range of string uh, of hearts string of hearts a whole range of interesting ones it's Spider- great great for hanging as well so if you've got stuff that's suspended i really like those ones and, and even these ones as you mentioned or you're about to mention mm. the spider plant yeah. um where you get those shoots that so yeah is it the spider plant? You get the shoots that come off and then The puffs form. on the bottom. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so very similar to, to strawberries in a sense, how they mm. shoot out runners. Um, but then those pups are kind of ready to go because they also have air roots on them straight mm-hmm. away. So you can immediately cut them off and plant them. But it's also nice when you have one that just has tons of those hanging yeah. off the side. It's quite unique. Yeah. Mm. Peace lilies, of course, lots of varieties of, of lilies, um, you know, canna lilies, all these sorts of... Um, yeah, again, very old school kind of conservatory type plants, uh, big. Uh, mother-in-law's tongue, the snake plant, um, or, you know, actually known as the Dracaena. Lots of, um, of varieties of that as well. And ficuses is another big one. Yep. So the fig family. Um, yeah, there's so many. you got the, the rubber plant. Rubber plant, can, can yep. have like a deep burgundy colour all the way through to a almost very pale green and everything in between. You've got your fiddle leaf, which some people have struggled with. It does require a bit of care um, and, and lots of different ones in between. Mm. I actually found, in, in all honesty, with the fiddle leaf, we we went pretty hard with it. So we at, at one point it was it reached up, up to the ceiling and uh, I chopped it, gave it about a metre, not even, maybe two leaves left, no problem. Wow. And it just sat as a, as a stump in the pot for quite a while. <laughs> and then out of nowhere, it comes springtime and it just busted up some new shoots and came back to life. And it, we actually did that 
repeatedly and it uh, we've been able to maintain it and get it to bush out because I, often I find with these um, with the fiddle leaf is it will just shoot one straight runner yeah. and then just shoot for the sky. <laughs> yeah. um, whereas I'd love it to, to be one straight uh, trunk and then into a big ball or multiple leaves or multiple branches and branching out that way. Yeah. So kind of encouraging it, giving it a real good haircut, encouraging it to jump off and branch out. Excellent. Well, that kind of leads into the next thing. Tell us a bit about how to care for these plants. Yeah, absolutely. Hack them and slash them. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) Well, we did speak about lighting before. So lighting's a huge one. And really what we need to do is just be aware of what the plants need. So specific lighting for specific plants. Um, Have a look if they need full sun, direct light, indirect light. Um, And really that indirect light is where it's not straight shining from a sun through a window onto the plant. It's going to be around a corner. It's still going to be getting light, but it's just not straight on light. Yeah. Um, We also want to think about lighting in terms of consistency um, and seasonal changes as well. And so that might be that, you know, one of the spots, if it's a north-facing window, you might only keep it there during the winter and Mm. you might then move it out during the summer because it's going to get too hot there. A bit more of an eastern face, Mm. eastern aspect. Yeah. We spoke about watering before. So a discerning watering approach, I like this. So factoring in soil type, um, drainage and the plant species itself. Um, But in in here we're mentioning filtered water, room temperature to avoid shock and a bottom-up watering method for certain types of plants like African violets. Mm. So maybe not going to that uh, some, some might be looking at a misting approach and some might, we might be watering from almost like a wicking pot yeah. um, and allowing it to seep upwards through the plant and soil and, and what roots. Mm. What else? Definitely. So humidity, of course. If we're talking about water, we've got to talk about humidity. Um, some plants just really want a deep, humid environment. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can maintain that you know you can have a sort of humidity tray so one that has like a cover over it almost like a like a mini greenhouse kind of thing and Mm -hmm. give them a bit of time in there of course you can mist them as well Um, if you want to get real scientific with it you can buy a hydrometer um, and you can monitor the humidity levels that way Uh, i know people that would probably go down that path Uh, but for the most part just ensuring that you know they get a dose of what they would find in nature Mm. so they're not always going to be misted and in the middle of a fog, but they can they can benefit from a bit of that, particularly when it's it's hot. Mm, yep. Mm. Um, speaking of hot temperature, mm. so we want stable temperatures inside of the house, <laughs> ideally. Usually easy. Yeah. Usually. Usually, I mean, cost of living is making that a bit harder <laughs> now these days. Yeah. Um, but really, it, what we're what the the advice here is uh, when you've got large fluctuations that can affect plants, they're not really going to like it. So consistency is good when it comes to temperature as well. Definitely, fertilizing is another big one. Mm. So really, doing your research. So yeah, it's a bit of an interesting one because rainforest environments. You know, some of these plants obviously are, what did you call them? Borrowers? I was going to say parasites, but yeah, wow. same sort of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we can we can phrase it in that way um, as a borrowing or as a parasitic plant that it's not going to be sitting in its own, uh, as an own independent tree. It might mm. be um, sitting in the cracks or on the branches as it finds a spot to fall into the into the canopy. It might be mm. attached to the side like a big elephant uh 
the elephant fern. Yeah, um, of course. A, a, almost like a limpet stuck onto the side of the tree. Yeah, and some would just kind of hang like an you know, old man's beard, I believe it's called. Yeah, different types of things. Tillandsia is a whole different type of thing, and we'll talk a bit about them in a second too. That's air plants. Um, and look, some are growing in the ground in you know what are often very poor soils in rainforests but have a lot of organic matter. It's a bit of a weird kind of dichotomy there. So do a bit of research and as always, you know, use a fertilizer that is, you know, organic ideally, balanced and is going to give you a sort of gradual nutrient increase because, again, too much nutrient will burn these as much as it would for, you know, any sort of delicate, not delicate, but, you know, any sort of plant that you don't want to overdo it with. Things like lettuces and stuff where... Start small. Start small, work your way up. Pruning is another one. So uh, precise pruning to encourage growth uh, and control the shape is important, especially when you're trying to fill a particular niche in the house, Mm -hmm. but also to keep them healthy. Sometimes you may be able to just hack at them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, do your research. Uh, (laughs) I'll still put the the, the fiddle leaf into the pruning category at the moment. But no, yep. But the good thing, uh, and this this is a good tip, with every plant, but especially indoors where you can have uh, perhaps a high incidence of disease problems or, you know, an environment that, you know, maybe you're not controlling as much as your outdoor plants and can breed disease is to use sterile tools. Mm, So, you know, anytime you are pruning a plant specifically, uh, especially an indoor plant, but all plants, uh, you know, use a bit of, isopropyl alcohol or a little bit of metho watered down or something mm-hmm. and just wipe your wipe your tools off and keep them sharp. Do you know, for especially for pruning, I, I, I've got one specific pair. I'm sure gardeners, the much more advanced gardeners than I are going to have multiple specific pairs for <laughs> particular purposes, but I've got one pinpoint uh, pruning scissors i guess or shears you could say uh and specifically for that purpose of indoor plants and precise really small scale precise pruning um and that one it doesn't live out in with the tools it lives inside and it's got its own little sheath (laughs) so that we can keep it a little bit more (laughs) is it in a glass case like grandma's china it comes out once a year just Snip, <laughs> uh, but um, <laughs> but you were right, it, it, and it's really just so that it's not getting. I can keep it clean. It's not rusting any time, and when I do need to, you know, get a little bit of <clears throat> uh, metho or something to wipe it down, um, that it's still clean. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else? We spoke about pests, diseases before. We spoke about pruning, potting, and repotting. That's a big one. It's so, a big one. Yeah. You know. Uh, Root pruning is something that can come up a lot with indoor plants and that's essentially, as the name would suggest, it's pruning of, of the root mass as opposed to the leaves uh, the leaves and the, and the stems and things like that. So it's not as scary as you'd think as long as you do follow those rules of being very sterile, very clean uh, because, as you can imagine, uh, roots are going to be very susceptible to rot. So you really want sharp, clean cuts. Um and you can – it's not that hard. Give it a go, you know, and that, that can give you a bit more time in a particular pot. If you want to keep a plant at a sort of consistent size and you don't want to pot it up, you can cut the roots back a little bit, refresh the potting mix. Mm. So make sure, I mean, that it's able to still get what it needs 
and you can sort of extend the life of a pot that way mm. instead of having to you know do well, the classic go up a size. You've also got there that that's kind of branching into this. I thought about this for a moment, and my mind started reaching to bonsai. Uh, yeah. and how to manage bonsai plants, uh, obviously from the top and the bottom, mm. uh, because you do you not you don't have a huge base necessarily that of of soil that it's living in, and, yeah. and root care and root preparation in that respect is going to be super critical. And they're mm. living for hundreds of years sometimes in a teacup. Yep. <laughs> so it's possible. It's, it's very possible. possible. Um, and then um, acclimatization is a big one. So you know. Obviously, indoor plants can be grown outside and outside some outside plants can be grown successfully inside. But when you're changing an environment in such a drastic way, and for mm-hmm. a plant it is very drastic to do that, you do need to acclimatize them. So if you're taking them out, you need to harden them off. Mm-hmm. And if you're bringing them in, you need to uh, – is there a term for that? Soften them up. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Soften them yeah, up. Yeah, I don't know. with the opposites. <laughs> Why not? Uh, so just making sure that you're kind of staging it out. And, mm. you know, if you're – if you, let's say you have an indoor plant and like a monstera and then you've got a nice shady little corner of the garden that you want to sort of move it out to, maybe move it out to an undercover area outside that's quite protected for a couple of weeks and a couple of weeks kind of moving it in and out of the sun a little bit more and just gradually helping it. Mm, so get mm. used to that new environment. I'm just imagining somebody trying to wrangle a giant monstera. Yeah. <laughs> get some help. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're getting big, very big plants. A pro tip as well, you know, if you've got big indoor plants, put them on wheels. Yes. I can't stress this enough. I, I've seen a lot of people with, you know, large 50 centimetre sort of diameter pots made of concrete or something inside. looks great. Mm-hmm. But when it comes time to move them, Soil is heavy. Need a forklift. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, make it easy for yourself. And there are there's nicer, less nice, and more nice versions of um, pot car- bottoms with wheels on caster bases. Mm. Now, I reckon we jump straight on to the next. We've got two little sub spotlights here, but just in the vein of what we've been talking about, tell us about air plants, Henry. Yeah. So. Air plants is an interesting one because I didn't know a lot about them until a couple of years ago. And long story short, a friend of ours who owns a cafe had a bunch of these little, uh, they were made of cement, uh, cement castings of takeaway coffee cups. Mm-hmm. They were just kind of sitting there. So we thought we would take them as a kind of early COVID project, paint them up nicely, and then put a little plant in them. It's just like a little desk ornament and sell them from this cafe. And we did pretty well. We sold them all. But the issue I was having was trying to find a plant that would work in – we're talking about half a toilet roll's worth of soil volume Mm. uh, and something that would not just immediately die when someone took it home. So looking around, doing some research, uh, I think we went to Plant World. No, not Plant World. Garden World. Garden World. Garden World. And uh, they had quite an extensive selection of Tillandsia or air plants. So what are air plants? Basically, they're plants that live without soil. They kind of just nestle in there in the nooks of in nature, nestle into the nooks of branches um, or just get caught up in leaf matter and they just kind of stick there mm-hmm. uh, and they absorb nutrients and water through their leaves, either through um, you know, making contact with organic material, uh, mist coming in, water sort of dribbling down 
and picking up nutrient as it goes. And they actually do quite well. Mm. Very, very hardy um, and very unique. There's some that look, you know, quite chunky and large, almost like an aloe vera. Not as big, but okay. you know, yep. miniature aloe vera. And then some that are super spindly and look like they're made of string and everything in between. Curly ones, spiky ones. Have a look, uh, anyone that is interested, and you'll see there's quite a variety. A bit of info about them. So light requirements, They like a lot of these plants, they like bright but indirect light. Mm-hmm. So they're really good for indoor spaces, near windows or maybe under artificial grow lights if you're trying to yeah, get a room just full of plants. Might be an option for you. The way that you water them is obviously a little bit different. You're going to mist them or you're going to actually grab the whole plant, chuck it in a bucket of water, just let it soak there for a while, then pull them out, let them fully dry and then put them back in their spot. Mm-hmm. So really interesting way to water them. Um, really adaptable. So their ideal range of temperature is between 10 and 32 degrees. That's pretty broad. So that's yep. most homes most of the year, I would think, is within that range. Um, fertilizers, they do require a very specific and specialized fertilizer. Usually when you buy them, you can buy the fertilizer. as mm. a granulized thing and you're actually going to mix that in with water and then soak them in that. Uh-huh. And that's how you fertilize them. So again, when we sold these, we actually gave like little tiny baggies with a little bit of fertilizer and some instructions on how to do it. It's like twice a year. Yep. Give them a soak for two hours in this mix and they'll be fine. And the cool thing is uh, you can stack them, you can bunch them together, you can almost put them in a, you know, What's it called? The thing that you hang on the front door during Christmas? A wreath? A wreath. Thank you. (laughs) How did I forget that word? You can turn them into a wreath. There's Mm. a whole bunch of stuff you can do to display them. Because again, you don't need any soil. A living wreath. A living wreath. That makes perfect sense. Um, And the great thing is very um, propagatable. So Mm. they create pups like a lot of these um, indoor plants do near the base. And then you can carefully separate them off and... I was going to say repot them, but no, just, you know, again, just put them somewhere, let them grow. Now I'm going to question, do orchids uh, sit as an air plant as well? No. So orchids is a whole nother kettle of fish. I think I've said this to you before. I can see myself being one of those sort of 80-year-old men that's like got an immense orchid collection and yep. is, you know, <laughs> inventing orchids. Um, a bit different, but similarly, um, orchids do not like sitting in – soil as you would understand it Mm. Um, so orchid mix is usually just bark and a few other bits and pieces to retain a bit of moisture so very similar and they'll absorb the moisture into their roots and and store it there Mm. for later use to to propagate and to keep on going yeah fascinating and yeah that's that's a bit about them um so yeah get into it tillandsia tillandsia air plants um have a look for them and if you're looking for an interesting way to decorate your home in a living way that doesn't require soil all over your walls. This could be the option for you. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You want um, to talk to us about another interesting little a little plant. Plant. I love. I love learning things. New stuff. Uh, love finding out things that I didn't know before. <laughs> and um, uh, I was having a chat with uh, a fellow at work, and uh, he came up to me and said. I've been given a Mexican potato. 
<laughs> what? And I said, what on? <laughs> what is a Mexican potato? And he, he kind of looked at me and said, I'm not too sure. It's a little bit shriveled and, and I need to see if I can propagate it and, and grow it. And... Uh, upon a request so he's giving this a go and I thought to myself I need to find out what this Mexican potato is uh, and I did a little bit of research and I came up with a plant called hikama okay um, have you ever heard of it never cool never never heard of hikama so we've got a botanical name pachyrhizus erosus there you go the rhizus part of that makes me think Potato. <laughs> Potato. Or something underground. Or rhizome of yeah, some kind. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this the, the one of the things that really thrilled me about this is something, again, it's I'm very passionate about, but it comes to language, language and mm. cultures um, when we're talking about cooking and growing vegetables and stuff like that. And it's something that, again, I want to definitely explore in a lot more detail a bit later on. But yeah. I wanted to come through with a couple of these ones because it does appear that hikama is uh, it's a it's a common uh, plant in that it's it's actually all over the place. Um, so I wanted to just jump into some different names for this, and the variety of common names including a climbing yam bean, a Mexican potato, Mexican water chestnut, Mexican turnip. Um, the Vietnamese I'm really not going to do very well with, uh, but K called Dal uh, in Malay, Seng Kuang in Chinese, Di Gua in Japanese, uh, Kuzuimo in Filipino, Sinkamas, and in Thai, Mankaeo and Hindi, Sankalu. So I love that that's it's everywhere. It's everywhere. That's, that's, that's great. So. A lot of culinary uses, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, it was just something that was a really interesting, something I hadn't heard of before. I'd love to give it a go. Uh, it's got some really gorgeous flowers that uh, that grow from it as well. Mm. So it's a really interesting looking plant. Um, it's from the plant, plant, plant family. Fabaceae. Fabaceae. Or Fabaceae, uh, depending on how you pronounce. But yeah. The, uh, the legume family. The legume family, which is really cool. And so the, the hikama is a vigorous subtropical and tropical climbing leg, legume vine from South America. Um, and it's got very big, pretty blue flowers, uh, blue pea flowers. But sadly, these flowers should probably be removed as well as any bean pods as the seeds on the bean pods are actually toxic so we're not going for the flowers and bean pods on this one we're going for the rhizomes and what's underground that's very interesting for a legume that mm. you do that i mean obviously there's there's lots of legumes that are not edible at all but interesting that this one has edible roots so I'm going to go through with a massive apology and say if I've if I've <laughs> gotten the pronunciation wrong um, or, or horribly gotten this pronunciation wrong, then my apologies. But uh, I do I'll definitely give it a go. Yeah, you've got a lot of Southeast Asia, South Asia and East Asia <laughs> that you maybe mispronounced. <laughs> like, give, it, give it a go. Um, yeah, if you can find it, maybe maybe try growing it and telling us how the roots taste. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Can you grow it inside? Hmm. <laughs> I don't see why not. It would have to be – I would think it would have to be it. what it appears. If it's in, in a growing subtropical, tropical area, then you'd want a reasonably humid environment. So it could be, could be doable. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Give it a go. There you go. All right. Let's go to a song. 
This one, uh, I think everyone knows this song, and it's um, very timely with this time of year. This is, of course, Changes by David Bowie. Called T-A-D To remodel my place Said I wanted it to be That kind of place Knee deep in the reno Sinking in our fights Other shonky builders Waking me up at night And Adam plays the boss man he listens to the customer Don't you remember He built this kitchen He built this kitchen with T-A-D We built this kitchen We built this kitchen with T-A-D We built this kitchen We built this kitchen with T-A-D T A D, love it. Oh, it's such a. I was just saying just a second ago. I'm never going to get sick of these That's ones. It. And I think about, I think about marketing sometimes and ads, and I think about how challenged I am by them sometimes. <laughs> and then this comes on, and I'm like, you know what? Local, local no frills. Get local. Happy. I think it was the Friday Night Frothy Boys. It was. Yes. Sounds great. <laughs> They do all of our ads, in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, great lads. And uh, yeah, support a local business if you're remodeling um, your kitchen or your wardrobes or whatever. TAD cabinets. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Shall we? Shall we? We shall. Uh, once again, Changes by David Bowie. But I don't think I need to repeat that one. <laughs> I think everyone knows that song. Um, so let's talk permaculture. So the Second to last principle. Penultimate. There we go. So this one is use edges and value the marginal. So initial thoughts? Initial thoughts. I yeah, it it's a very it's a broad description and I think it is as we were mentioning <laughs> off offline a moment ago, it can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Mm. Um and I thought about marginal, I thought about um sometimes disused space uh, and I think I was thinking about the space between spaces or between two spaces. Uh, one thing that was, uh, I, I guess we're going to discuss and display it and m- maybe it's going to help me to uh, explain why I feel that these these examples in particular are mm. going to be marginal or, or fitting into this permaculture principle. But maybe, Henry, you can give us a, an actual lowdown of as to what it is. Definitely. So like all of permaculture, this is about looking at nature. So the classic permaculture example here is looking at uh, something called an ecotone. I hope I've pronounced that right, ecotone which is the, the convergence of two different ecosystems. Mm, so mm. a classic example is a forest and a you know, plains or a meadow or something, mm. right? So obviously certain animals and plants that exist in the forest, there are certain animals and plants that exist in a meadow and there'll be different soil types, different microorganisms in those soils. 
But where they meet together is a huge biodiversity hotspot usually mm. because you have the species from one sort of branching out a little bit and testing that area out, the species from the other doing the same, and then you have a whole new raft of species that have developed to live in that middle area, mm. right? There's no hard borders in nature. I was going to say because often going into a, into a like let's say a meadow and into a forest, it's not going to be that you're just walking into the thick of a forest. You might walk into some staggered trees and there's a space of, of development before you're into the forest deep or true per se. That's um, it. And so we're talking about that, that middle ground yeah. and the diversity that exists there. And this is in many ways is quite fundamentally different to how gardens have been designed for a long time mm. and how many gardens still are designed, which is hard borders everywhere. Yes. Every, everything has to be in its own little box. This quadrant is my yeah. flower patch. And, and sometimes this- we even use box, box hedging mm. to cut off areas of garden, right? Mm. Um, or, you know, if we have raised planters, you know, you'll have a path made of brick or something and then a raised planter and then the growing happens in the raised planter. But there's a whole bunch of edge there, so to speak. And again, Mm. the term edge, very loose with this principle. Edge can mean a lot of things. But really, if you just think about it as, as you said, unused space is a really practical and easy way to think about it. But also thinking about areas where different conditions, maybe different, different light conditions, different moisture conditions, different soil profiles are meeting Mm. and softening that border and creating almost a third zone i suppose a third microclimate almost that is is hopefully and in many cases can be better than the sum of its parts the in between the in between mm. the liminal space is that the word for it i don't know anyway so <laughs> i was i was actually if i can i'll jump into one please do yes there was uh, and again i'll think it was a marginal space so mm. this was a very narrow space as an example i was watching a video the other day and it was of somebody harvesting sweet potatoes yeah. Uh, and uh, the the fellow had planted it into about 30 centimetres wide um, spot against the side of the house between mm. the driveway and and the house itself. It wasn't a huge bed. It looked like it could be a, just a disused and left spot. It could didn't need to necessarily have soil in into that little area that he had it there. But nevertheless, what he wound up doing is um, planting five or six different sweet potato plants and rather than letting them sprawl across the ground and go uh, as ground cover and essentially climb wherever it wants to, he encouraged it and put up a frame for it to grow upwards. Yeah. And it grew about 1.5 metres tall, thereabouts. It created an awesome green screen. So it changed that white weatherboard behind it into a lush green mm. uh, a green wall. Um, obviously, it's going to do things like cool down the house as well in some, some small respects, but then harvesting that, it's a disused little sliver of next to the, uh, next to the um, driveway and he's able to get out quite a few kilograms of sweet potato, which is quite impressive. There you go. That's a big part of it. I mean, you can think about this one in really practical terms of just yet yeah, using unused space, literal edges, edges of your property, fences, um, the edges of your garden beds, growing things that are going to climb down and 
sort of shelter the side of the garden bed, but also create maybe a bit of shade near the bottom where you can grow something else. Mm. Um, or you can think about it in a really emulating nature kind of way. So a lot of people, you know, have uh, a pond in their backyard or want to put a pond in and they might have, okay, well, this is where my pond goes and the pond is going to have lilies and fish in it. And then right next to it over here is my, you know, some garden bed that I have that is going to have plants that don't want wet feet, you know, and they all have a, they're separated and all of that. But that zone in between is a big biodiversity hotspot. You know, if we think about, you know, frogs, for example, they are the ones that are going to want to live in that middle zone, yep. right? They're going to want access to the water. They're going to want access to the insects and such that live on the dry land side of it. So by planting in that area, we can, Obviously, we can plant edible things as well, but we can increase our biodiversity, which is going to help with you know, pest management and a whole bunch of other things and really improve our soil you know, uh, biodiversity as well hmm. by creating, again, another pocket of soil that has interesting and diverse uh, yeah, microorganisms. Fascinating. Yeah, so it's really just about using everything to its, you know, nature, again, nature doesn't have hard borders. And nature very rarely has just like a dead spot. Mm. You know, something jumps in to fill that space and you should do the same in your garden. But I mean, very practical examples. It could be um, if you have a, a brick path, plant things in between the bricks. You know, you can plant Corsican mint or something. You know, you can create a usable space out of something that would normally just be a hard edge or a hard border. So that's sort of the, you know, the theory behind it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, really, it's just about recognizing the value of these edge areas and integrating them you know, purposefully into your design, right? So some practical stuff, um, you know, simple strategies, planting trees uh, next to gardens, you know. Um, some people seem to think that I use a classic example, lettuce. This is always my big example is, you know, you read the lettuce packet, full sun, blah, 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 blah. Lettuces hate full sun. (laughs) They hate full sun. (laughs) So under trees is actually a really good place to plant lettuce, Mm. you know, and it's a space that's often not used. We often think if we have a big tree in our backyard, we we mulch around it with hardwood mulch because we think maybe not much is going to grow under the tree. And then we start our food garden, so to speak, outside of the, the, the rain shadow or the, you know, the, the canopy of the tree. Uh, wrong. You can plant so many things, productive things, under trees, mm. including berries is another big one. Mm. Berries do not really in nature live out in a meadow somewhere. They're on the forest floor. So using these spaces in a way that is more in line with nature than perhaps how we've been led to believe. Um, and that just requires a bit of research really. Mm. Yeah, um, like I said, you know, using these areas encourages more biodiversity, which is better for integrated pest management and making sure we're bringing lots of those good, um, you know, predator insects and animals into our systems. Also, just increasing the number of edges, so softening borders, um, using interesting garden bed shapes. You know, think of it like a human brain, right? The human brain maybe the size of a fist, but it has way more surface area than a fist because of all the little folds, mm-hmm. right? 
And that's why we're so smart. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Questionable. But that's why, um, you know, humans obviously have, um, for their brain size, uh, a lot of intelligence. Right. Maybe. <laughs> because they have a lot more surface area. And think about that in your garden. How can I make more of these spaces? So using interesting garden design, things like the classic permaculture principle uh, or not principle, permaculture um, thing of the herb spiral. Mm, yep. <laughs> some some permaculturists will be rolling their eyes right now, but a herb spiral is a great idea because it does create lots of little um, – Microclimates, yeah, little and tiny microclimates and, and pockets mm. all the way around, um, different heights, different lights, different levels of moisture. Mm. So you've created almost like one of those brownie tins that has is like snake shaped. Have you seen those? Mm-hmm. So everyone gets edge, <laughs> everyone gets an edge. Same sort of thing. So that's really what it's about. Um, yeah, that's any any other thoughts about that one? It's it's pretty self explanatory, but it's one you really just have to implement. You can't really. You can't really just brute force it. You have to put it into your garden on purpose, in a way. I was as we as you've been explaining it brilliantly, by the way. But uh, as you've been explaining it, it's um, there's some things that have popped into my mind. Uh, again, uh, different examples of how this might play out, uh, and there's a few that is a bit of a favourite. I actually really enjoy finding a broker the the space between the road and the house being what a, not our, our front garden, but our front garden as well as the nature strip. The nature and strip. some of those mm. in examples where I've seen a really unique nature strip where it's not a lawn at all. It's got all sorts of things planted into it and how it breaks up and how much I appreciate not just seeing the front of the house and yeah. and, and the windows and all the, and all the rest of it, but really seeing that, oh, there's a house that's over there, but it's behind all of this growth and diversity mm. and different stuff. And it was really interesting because there's a few examples that I've driven past and I always look at them uh, as we drive past. I always have a bit of an admiration because it looks very different. And I was thinking about that space between the road and between the house. Exactly. And that's a that's actually a really good example, you know, creating you can you can create an edible garden on your verge. You can create a habitat garden on your verge. You can create both. Mm. And that's what I would encourage people to do is, you know, I, I'm not sure about the Kingston City Council, but I know the Frankston City Council, um, you can go on their website, you can apply for a permission to rip up your verge lawn mm. and plant it out. Uh, it's pretty quick, easy. You just have to tell them what plants you want to plant. And they do obviously have to be natives, I think, for the most part. Mm. Um, but you can put in a mixture of you know, bush food and, you know, native grasses, things that aren't too high, obviously, and stop the visibility aspect, but that's a great way to do it because otherwise you just have a hard edge of grass that's not exactly huge for biodiversity. <laughs> Another really great one which I think catches a lot of people's eye at the moment is the creeping the ground cover thyme. Yeah. Which is that big splash of pink that you might see that's creeping it. around the place. Really cool. Really, yeah. really interesting. Uh, and again, breaks it up. It's not just a monotonous lawn straight shorn <laughs> nice it. and clean it's got a bit of color it's got a bit of shape to it mm. excellent that's pretty much it it's one of those ones that you really and this is going to be everyone's task for the next fortnight is to go into your garden front and back or whichever one you might have or not have um, even your balcony and look for the hard edges so 
you know, hard as in a brutal change in circumstance, not necessarily a hard like timber or something <laughs> like that. And think, how can I remove that hard edge? What mm. can I do to soften that hard edge? Are there extra plants I can add in which would do well in that kind of unique environment? Uh, can I, let's say you have a bunch of trees in your backyard uh, separate to your food garden. Maybe you can hang some pots off of your tree with food growing in them and then you can plant under the tree and just fill that space. Mm. It will only do you good. Get creative. Get creative with it. Keen to hear if anyone is doing that already uh, or has any ideas as to how you might soften edges in your home. Let us know on that number. What's the number? <laughs> I'm looking for it. It's there. 0493 213 831. There you go. All right. Before we get into... Our last section, here is a song that is very reflective of that. This is the song Pumpkin (laughs) by The Regrets. Hi, I'm Fiona Lee Maynard and you're listening to Radio Carum, which is what I do whenever I'm anywhere near Seaford Carum High School and Eel Race Road. We're back on The Gardening Show on Radio Carum. With Henry and Brendan. Absolutely. We are into the last last section of tonight's episode. We and that was the regrets with pumpkin. And it's a great <laughs> it's a great segue. She's seen me last night. Is there a song called Pumpkin? There is. There is. It's actually quite a few. Wow, so. <laughs> uh, a great segue to go into our last topic and our spotlight on Cucurbits. 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 Um, one of my favorite words. Mm. gardening um some of the most popular vegetables in the home garden belong to the you know the cucumber family cucumber Um, family so cucurbits or cucurbitaceae or cucurbitaceae there you go i think i think i did that pretty well that's good yep um so commonly grouped together called the cucurbits they include uh so many. So, you know, summer squashes, zucchinis, winter squashes. Obviously, you're talking about different kinds of pumpkins. Um, gourds as well. Watermelons, mm. cantaloupes, rock melons, that sort of thing. Loofah and, of course, cucumbers. Right. So, where do they come from? Where does a cu- cucurbit come from? So, this is one of those ones that has been, um, I guess, cultivated for a very, very long time. Um, we're from uh, across lots of different continents, so I'm not really sure exactly where they've come from originally. We're but thinking antiquity. Antiquity, and even we're thinking even prehistoric. Right. So one of the first sort of uh, families of plants that was cultivated. And um, domesticated. Or domesticated, I should say, yes. Wow. So, yeah, big, big one. Uh, I think along with, um, you know, the... Solanaceae family as well. Um, so that's your, your tomatoes and your peppers and your eggplants. It's one of those ones where – and potatoes. Uh, it's one of those ones where between both of these, you know, very large diverse families of plants, hmm. for many gardeners, that's probably maybe two-thirds of what they're growing <laughs> in their garden across the year. Yeah, yeah. So it's a significant – a significant, uh, a cultural significance, I guess. It's really highly used, highly variable mm. and important for a lot of culture. Yeah, and, and not even necessarily for food. 
So if we're looking at the gourds, mm-hmm. the, the gourd genus, um, within that, uh, some are used for water bottles. Yes. You know, or instruments. I cannot wait to grow some gourds and get them shaped up into bottle some bottle gourds. gourds I definitely want to try bottle gourds next year. And then, of course, you have the loofah as well, um, which, you know, people have used for, you know, as, as sponges, I suppose, or for, you know, for washing and things for a long time. Mm. They are technically edible too, but not at that stage, <laughs> not at that late stage when you usually pick them. So just jumping back into gourds for a second because mm. um, we mentioned that and we would love to see them. If you ever do want to see a great selection of gourds, Aloe and Gardens. Oh, really? Up in uh, – we mentioned it a couple, of, uh, a couple of episodes ago. As you walk through the entrance and, and through, I guess, the, the, um, where you kind of pay to get in sort of thing, yeah. uh, if you have a look up – you'll see hanging from the roof uh, about, oh, oh gosh, it's got to be about a thousand different shaped gourds. <laughs> That's amazing. All drying out and hanging up there. It looks pretty incredible. And there's, there's so many different shapes of gourds yeah, as well. Yeah. And just generally in this family, you will find every size, every shape, every colour mm. from trombomchinos or whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. They can yep. get like two metres long. With a big... A like bell ball sort of end yeah, on the end. Yeah, yep. just a big long neck. And you've got, uh, you know, cucumelons that you were talking about as well and you know, pickling cucumbers on the tiny side. So, yeah, really diverse. At There's one for every use. There's one for every garden. Hmm. And there's one for every spot in the garden as well. Um, this has been my experience. Uh, what about some botanical info? Cool. Okay, so we've got some distinctive family traits. Um, the Cucurbitaceae is characterised by its tendril-bearing vines and a diverse array of fruit shapes, sizes and forms. We've got an interesting floral structure, so typically adorned with vibrant, uh, conspicuous and predominantly yellow flowers exhibiting distinct reproductive features. Mm, so they have to have the male and the female flowers. Mm. Very easy to tell apart. Yep. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, I believe that the male flowers are going to be the, the essentially a, a longer uh, stalk coming up to the flower head, yep. and and then the female flowers that sit at the base of the flower of the plant. Yeah, and we'll have a sort of a an ovary at the bottom. Mm. To see which then grows into whatever cucurbit you are growing. Definitely. About fruit diversity. Yeah. So as we said, you know, a huge diversity in uh, fruit morphology or, you know, fruit fruit shape and type, um, all colors, sizes and, and textures as well. So I, when I think of this family, I think of textures. I mm. think of smooth and soft all the yep. way through to, you know, dry bottle gourds, which are basically <laughs> feel like wood when yep. they're fully seasoned. Um, you've got the pumpkins that are covered in warts. You've got bitter melon. Which is a whole nother thing, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> you know. Very interesting looking, um, looking fruit, and yeah, different edible components. Uh, but not all of them are edible, so that's that's important to know as well. Or are edible in very specific circumstances or at very specific times in their development, right? As okay. well. Uh, but the flowers is another good one because a lot of people will know that the flowers um, are edible. As well, I'm not sure if that's for all species, but um, yeah, they can, they can you can stuff them with stuff, and then you can fry them or you know eat them many different ways. So We're talking about deep like zucchini flowers, battered exactly. and deep fried zucchini flowers. Oh, yes, this is why I bought zucchinis <laughs> last weekend. Um, absolutely. So 
what's the growth habit? Well, as we said, you know, they're tendril bearing vines, mm-hmm. so they can they will just sprawl along the ground, um, but they can be trained to climb up. Um, some need a little bit more help than others mm. to do so. And one thing you do need to take into account is the weight of the fruit. Yes. Um, so supporting the weight of the fruit. Supporting the weight of the fruit because you don't really want to be growing, you know, like a Queensland blue pumpkin or something on a vine because those can get to six, eight, ten kilos. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not even that you might not be able to build a structure strong enough. I'm sure you could, but the plant needs to be able to support that. Correct. While it ripens, that's a big part of it. And often you'll see some really creative, and again, I want to go back into, uh, I'll, I'll just use the example of Springvale again, yeah. um, and going over to um, uh, to my parents-in-law's house. Okay. And they'll be growing uh, different types of melon and cucurbit uh, along a trellis. And when the fruit starts to develop and, and starts to form up and, and actually get a bit of weight to it, so maybe over about 200 grams or thereabouts, mm. out comes uh, an old sling or <laughs> an old, uh, some uh, like a panty, the, the liner, the leggings. The oh, leggings, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 stockings or something. Stockings, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm looking for. Um, so you've got the stockings hanging down. Oh, I think we've all seen then, that before, the exactly. pumpkin in the stocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And it totally works. Yeah. And totally, totally works. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a definitely, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I mean, interesting though, yeah, as, as a vining, because uh, when I think of this, I, I always go to, you know, these usually old farmers in the UK that grow giant pumpkins mm. right? or here as well in Australia. And I was having a think about how do you grow a giant pumpkin? right? Is it a specific kind of species? Not really, no. So a lot of species you can grow to be ridiculously massive. Mm. They actually employ a technique, I think it's called root layering, where as the vine grows, one thing that, sidebar, uh, the root ball of a, let's say a pumpkin, even a massive pumpkin that covers your entire garden, the root ball is still only going to be where you planted it. And usually only at most maybe 50 centimetres cubed, Mm, okay, 30 to 50 centimetres cubed. So it's not taking over your garden, so so to speak, in terms of leaching, you know, nutrient from your garden. You can totally cut a little bit back and interplant things around it, use it as living living mulch basically, Mm. much like nasturtiums. You know, hide your lettuces in there, totally possible to to grow around them, but – that's not going to get you the giant pumpkin. The way you get the giant pumpkin is you let it get out as big as possible and as much as you can, you bury different parts of the stems and force it to create more roots Ah. by burying the stems. And this is how they grow those giant pumpkins. They are... Select a single fruit, take off everything else. Take off everything else. Let the plant get as big as it can. And then drop more roots. Make it drop more roots by so burying parts of the stem. More more nutrients and from all different angles. In. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, very careful watering yep. so as to not split it. You do need to support the weight as it grows. So that might require that you put the pumpkin on sand mm-hmm. and just like, you know, let it grow on there so it's not in direct contact with soil and has good drainage. But anyway, it's a little sidebar. That's how it's done. Ah. It's not some crazy uh, secret variety of pumpkin. 
Um, it can be done with lots of different types of pumpkins. And actually, now that you we, you mention it, the wart, warty pumpkins at the moment are going to be all out on yep. display um, <laughs> at Halloween time for sure. So, yeah. Um, so, so now is a good time to get them in the ground, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, this entire family, really, it's a good time to get them into the ground. They're typically going to grow throughout spring and sort of fruit in summer, um, be harvested Oh, it depends on the species. I mean, things like cucumbers, you just keep harvesting mm. and keep getting them. Things like pumpkins are going to take a bit of time. Uh, but the good thing about pumpkins in particular is that they store very well. Yes. And if you, you know, harden them off properly, um, six months, nine months. We've still got a, <laughs> we've still got a pumpkin from, from last summer. Hey, which well, is sitting, sitting in the room and it's still absolutely fine. A year. Yeah. A year you can keep them for. But this is the time to get them to the ground for sure. Mm. What have you had success with, Henry? What's worked for you? Oh, so in the past, I've had good success with Queensland Blue pumpkins. Yep. I was growing them in Northcote um, in a small suburban terraced house garden. And I got maybe four of them, mm-hmm. ranging from three kilos to seven. Nice. The seven kilo one was quite large. Um, and Jap as well, another type of pumpkin. Um, That's Japonica, is it? I don't know necessarily. Hmm. I just know it as the Jap pumpkin, but um, butternut as well. Yep. So the standard standard butternut, small pickling cucumbers, the ones that just are really prolific, and it's one of those the more you harvest, the more you get sort of things. And apple cucumbers, I've had a lot of success with, except my last batch, which was probably two or three years ago, where for whatever reason. I think I know the reason, but anyway, they turned out super bitter and just disgusting. No good. <laughs> so awful. Just wrong place, wrong watering, wrong harvest window. I just totally messed them up. Um, but before that, I had grown them successfully. Mm. Probably one of my favorite cucumbers, flavor wise. Mm. Mm. So you, you mentioned small pickling cucumbers, and um, I I do love growing cucumbers. Um, they're great to eat. They're super rewarding to grow. Uh, they're really rewarding in that, as you mentioned, sometimes it's the more you pick, the more it can come up and yeah. grow in its place. And it's great to watch it change from day to day. Uh, these are ones kind of like a zucchini in some some instances mm. that you can have it for one day and you're just like, ah, oh, there's a little, it's set. You, you, you can see it there. You can see that it's taken and it's going to form up. It's been fertilized and you know you're going to get a, a, a zucchini or a cucumber there. And then you leave it for a day or two and then you may just come back and then before you know it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's there and it's ready to go. And um, sometimes I've found with the small pickling cucumbers is I had grown some expecting that they were a larger cucumber. And of course, I didn't want to grow into a larger yeah, cucumber right. for those ones. And then I was like, <laughs> and I kind of mistimed them and I thought it was something else when really it was just a small, they were going to stay small. Mm. Um, but I really love doing the cucumbers, um, seeing that change day by day, being able to walk around and, again, something that you can just eat as you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's in its own natural wrapper. You can eat the wrapper. It's super healthy yeah, for you. Yeah. Um, this year uh, I'm really keen to try some melons. Okay. And now I'm not too sure where we're at with melons down here in Victoria, if it's really quite tropical enough, if it's going to get that heat that it needs um, to, to sweeten up. Uh, but watermelons and cantaloupes, I'd love to try just to, just to see what can happen. Um, 
And what I'd like to ask, and this can be a question for now or it can be a question for next episode, but mm. have you grown melons in Melbourne? And tell us what you grew and how you managed to grow it. What worked for you? Because I'd love to, to get some tips. And- are, are you asking the audience or are you asking me? <laughs> Let's go both. <laughs> I haven't, no. No? no. I so would love is- to. I would love to grow. I've got watermelon seeds. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't start them this year because I just don't. I still have to figure out where I would put them. Mm. I don't think there's a good enough spot in my garden because they need heat. They really do need heat. Um, and I don't know, maybe I'll try them one year. I think the seeds are still good for another two or three years mm. um, based on, I guess, what's on the packet. So I might give them a go. But I like watermelon. Not as much as other people seem to like watermelon. I'm definitely more of a pumpkin guy. Okay. I'm more of a savory person than yep. a sweet Yep. That's another thing I like about cucurbits. Sweet to savoury. Both the, sweet and savoury, yeah. The whole gamut from breakfast, lunch, dinner and dessert, you can have cucurbits. Fascinating. So we're trying a few things this year actually. We're trying some African horned cucumber. Oh. Uh, we're trying the, the good old Italian cucumbers. Yep. Um, we, As I mentioned before, we're trying the cucumelons. Yeah. And one that I, I would like to try is that the, the apple cucumber. Yeah. Uh, so specifically on that cucumber side of things, we want to try a few different varieties this year. They're pretty easy. I, I don't know why, how I, I think, yeah, I know how, I know why I messed it up, but I shouldn't have messed it up. They're, they're actually quite easy to grow and prolific too. But it's one sounds- of those ones where you look at one day, yeah, like you said, it's like a little grape and you're like, oh, okay. And then you come back a week later and it's like, oh, I nearly missed the window to harvest because yeah, it's yep. the size of, you know, an apple Yep, <laughs> sort of thing. So, yeah. What am I trying? Um, I've got a lot now. So I've got crookneck pumpkin, mm-hmm. which is an heirloom variety of um, butternut. I think it's actually the thing that butternut was developed from. Mm-hmm. So it's butternut, but with more of a a crook neck, a bit of a weird shaped neck. Um, Loofah, of course. So I'm going to get those ones in. They're taking off quite nicely. So I'm looking forward to um, yeah, getting them in the ground. They're still in their pots. I got some market more cucumbers, very sort of standard, you know, medium-sized green cucumbers. I've got two kinds of zucchini. So I've got blackjack, which is your very classic, um, you know, big green supermarket zucchini, and the round yellow zucchinis as well. Um, and yeah, next next year, I'd love to try bottle gourds, tromboncinos as well. I really want to try. And oh, I had one more. Oh, bitter melon. Bitter I melon. Want to try bitter melon. Because I've eaten it a few times. I prepared properly. I actually quite like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it's such a cool looking fruit. Mm. Some like alien looking thing. So I'd love to give that a go. I like it. That's brilliant. Yeah. So is that coming up to the end of the show? It is. Wowee. Cucurbits, get into it. <laughs> Tell us what you've been growing. We definitely want to hear about your successes. Mm. Um, and maybe some odd, different, unique varieties that you've found and explored and been like, right, this is a definite go-to. Mm. Um, and it sounds like even just in your example of the apple cucumbers is that you've learnt from that. Not everything in the garden is, is always going to be a success. We're always going to have things that don't quite go to plan necessarily and it, <laughs> and it could just be a validation of the reasons why and it could keep reinforce some lessons to it or it could be oh, need to de- totally mix it up next time. But, yeah. Um, we're always taking something away, so it's always learning. That's it. Give it a go. Next show, what's on? What's on? 
So we're going to talk peppers. Hey, not not peppercorns. No, no. We're talking no. chilies, caps and chills, capsicums and chilies. Chilies. Um, we have the twelfth perm and twelfth and last permaculture principle. Mm. Hey, um, collectively use and respond to change. Creatively. Creatively, sorry, corrective. I said corrective. <laughs> creatively, creatively use and respond to change. I mean, also true, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and then we're going to do quite a, a chunky segment on water, mm. which is obviously one of the most vital and important things when it comes to having or growing anything, really. Uh, so we'll, we'll break it into a few parts. Um, first part being capture and storage, mm-hmm. and then moving on to the second part, which would be usage. It's talking about irrigation including things like reticulation, which is a specific kind of irrigation, and a little bit on ponds and bogs and how to introduce water as an ecosystem as well Mm. and a a growing medium into your garden. And a valuable one at that. Yeah. Mm. That's a great way to use edges. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, But, yeah, as always, thank you to everyone for listening and participating. Um, Have a great fortnight ahead. Thank you as always to all of our listeners. We hope you have been inspired to get your hands dirty, to try out some new things in the garden, and we will see you next episode. This has been Brendan and Henry on another episode of The Gardening Show, signing off. (music) 